Thank you, Maddie. I really enjoyed the worship this morning. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, I do feel the worship over the last couple of months has really lifted. Um, and I really um, sense that presence of God come. And I think it's a combined thing. It's, it's two things. It's the passion of the people who are leading us into worship and their personal relationship with God. But I think it's also the fact that, um, you know, we are passionate about God. Like, just conversations I have with different people, you know, you're seeing people have lifted their engagement, they've lifted their dedication to God, they're wanting to have time in His presence. And when we come into worship with that in mind, this is what we get. We get, a, we get a touch of God in the worship, right? It's just been awesome. I really want to encourage you guys to come out to Revive Nights. We only do them once a month, and Revive Nights are an opportunity for us to um, grow and extend our gifts. It's an opportunity, like if you believe you have a prophetic gift, that's the opportunity for you to, to put that into practice and to grow and to use that. So our Revive Nights are, are about us stretching and growing and putting into action those things that we have that we believe God has for us. Our Sunday mornings are about us encouraging you guys to actually do what it is that God has called you to do. It's more around the coach talking to the team and getting you guys ready to go out and do the job that you have to do, you know, sort of during the week. Um, So Sunday mornings, we don't really have that opportunity, but Sunday nights when we do our revive nights, that's the opportunity. That's the opportunity for you to be fearless. That's the opportunity for you to get out and give it a go and make a mistake and no one's going to care because what we're looking at is your passion for God. So I really want to encourage you to do that. I also want to really encourage you guys to be a part of the variety show for Christmas. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so much fun. And like I said, it's, it's family. So it doesn't matter if you're not great. It doesn't matter if, if, it, if it's not the most perfect song or the most perfect dance. Or it doesn't even have to be that. It could be a um, comedy routine. And you know what? Your kids may not laugh at you, but we will. So, you know, it'll be great. So, you know, the other thing that we want to let you know about is... Um, we're going to have a church picnic that day. So you've got to bring your picnic, bring your food, and after, after the service, we're all going to have a big picnic out under the, under the grass, under the trees. We're going to have, you know, the, the, the swinging swing things, you know, the moving swings. We're going to have a slide for the kids and all that sort of stuff. But we're going to have some um, old school games, you know, uh, wheelbarrow races and sack races. It's going to be just fun. It's just going to be family having Christmas fun together. So I really want to encourage you guys to come and do that. So this is the last of our At The Movie series. So I did have someone say to me, why do you do an At The Movie series? And the At The Movie series is just a way of us trying to find something that you will remember, you know, and it's easier for us to remember a clip from a movie than it is for you to remember a scripture, right? So when you're going through a tough time, you might not be able to remember the scripture, but hopefully you're going to remember a movie that we talked about, and that's going to jog your memory about what you need to do. So that's the whole point of it. It's just, it's just a way of trying to give you a tool. It's like when I say to people all the time about you should practice and sing in your own home all the worship songs that we sing because they're about preaching to yourself. So that when you're going through something, when you're going through a tough time, you can sing the song and you're preaching to yourself, you're encouraging yourself, you're stirring up that faith within you. Um, these are just tools to help you. That's all it is. It's, it's nothing major. It's, um, yeah, that's, it's just like I said, the, At The Movie series is just hopefully to give you something that you can remember when you need it. So the old saying, there's an old saying that goes, you've probably heard it a lot, and it says you can't keep a good man down. 
Have you guys heard that? Oh, I should let you know. Craig's not here because he's in Devonport. <laughs> um, I was supposed to let you know that, sorry. Um, so the church in Devonport, um, their pastor is um, resigned and he's leaving at the end of the year. Um, and so they're at a bit of flux at the moment. So um, Craig, because of course he leads the Revive Movement, is over there just ministering with them today. Um, that's where he is. They rang him last night and said to him, oh, we didn't tell you, but the Harbour Bridge will be closed because of the marathon. So when he looked at detouring around to get to, to Devonport, it's going to take him an hour and a half. So yeah, so he, he left really early this morning. So I'm sure they're doing well, but all right, so you can't keep a good man down, right? Now, a person who trusts in God, depends on him throughout his whole entire life, will at times through that life trip, and they will fall, and they will stumble, right? But because you have God, you're not going to stay down. Because you have God, you'll be able to overcome the obstacles and the challenges because you've got God's grace and you've got his strength that rests upon your life. Sometimes people say to me, what is the difference between a righteous person and a wicked person or a sinful person? And you know what, to be honest, the the simple, very quick answer is that the difference is that a righteous person doesn't sin while a wicked person does. There's a verse, though, in Proverbs that kind of puts this slightly differently and has a slightly different definition. So Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. It's not that the righteous doesn't stumble in sin. It's that they get up after they fall. See, the wicked fall just as the righteous does. The difference is, is that the wicked give up and they stay where they are. They don't ever get back up. In Proverbs, a righteous man is typically refers to someone of a strong moral character, emphasizing that they are respectable, that they are honest, that they have principles, that they are an honorable person. In Hebrew, the word translated for falls literally means to fall over as a no longer remaining upright. They use it when they talk about trees falling down. But it can also, figurative, uh, can also figuratively mean someone who experiences disaster, calamity, tragedy, or ruin. Rises again has a literal meaning of gets back up after falling, as well as the sense of overcoming an adversity and becoming prosperous again. When the Bible talks about falling seven times, it does not mean a literal seven times. It simply refers to falling frequently or many times. In fact, seven in the Bible is a symbol of completeness, of perfection. And it can illustrate here that no matter how many times you fall, how many times a righteous man falls, no matter if his fall seems to be completely and utterly irreversible, the setback really is only temporary because he's destined to rise again because he has God. And I actually think that this is a really radical way for us to look at righteousness. And it's a really different way for us to look at success. It's not about how many times do we fail. It's about how much do we persevere. In fact, the Jewish sages would actually explain that proverb this way. They say, because a person falls and gets back up, they become righteous. I want to say that again because I feel like that's really important for some of you. Because a person falls and gets back up, they become righteous. Because if they didn't fall, they would never ascend to such great heights that God puts us, gives us to. Now, Sir James Dyson, 
It was the first person to ever invent a vacuum cleaner without a bag. I was talking about this the other day. with <laughs> These guys are laughing because I brought it up randomly. Um, but it fits. It fits with my message. So that's why I was thinking about it. So Sir James Dobson, right, first guy ever to invent the bagless vacuum cleaner, right? It took him 15 years and 5,126 attempts. He failed 5,126 times before he successfully invented this. He then went on to become a really strong advocate for failure. He firmly believes that in order to succeed, you need to fail. Such a bizarre way of thinking in our day and life. See, his thing is that it's through our failures that we become successful. When we're children, we didn't actually have a fear of messing up. In fact, it's how we learn to walk, and it's how we learn to talk, it's how we learn to eat independently, it's how some of us learn to aim into the toilet bowl. <laughs> some of us are still working on that. But we fall down and we got food on the floor, we, we uttered gibberish, we mispronounced words, we said the wrong words, we messed up our colours when we were learning to draw, we got, drew outside the lines. We do all of these things before we actually perfected any of these skills. It was only from learning from our mistakes that we were able to become perfect. As children, we actually played freely. We were inventive. We were explorers. We would discover new things as children. Yet somehow, somewhere along the way, we find out that failure isn't a good thing, and so we stop. It's the older we get that the less we attempt things. We're afraid of making mistakes. And that's actually what slows down the development of children. It's been said quite often that the master has failed more times than the beginner has, has at the start. And that's even true. The master would have failed far more times to succeed to where they are. And Proverbs teaches us that falling down but getting up again is actually the path to greatness. Resilience is one of the blessings for those who choose right living because God is on our side. If you have God on your side, there is no reason for you to not be resilient. Psalm 37, 23-24 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by his hand. And even when we're in a situation where we have enemies raging against us or circumstances are against us, Micah 7, 8 says, Do not gloat over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. You see, as God's people, we aren't promised freedom from worldly cares, from losses, from hurts, from attacks, from uh, you know, trials, none of that. What God says is he will watch over his children, and he promises that he will deliver us from trouble. And he will, says it in Psalm 91 verse 15, and for some of you, I think you need to grab a hold of this because there are times when you need this says, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. This is a promise that God has for us. This is his promise to us, that he will rescue us. So you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with the princess bride? So I'm going to give you a bit of a, a summary about the princess bride. It's about a grandfather, starts off with a grandfather who reads a book to his sick grandson, who initially dismisses the story of a princess bride. The tale is about Buttercup, a young woman living on a farm in the fictional kingdom of Florin, 
Whenever she tells the farmhand Wesley to do something, he always complies saying, as you wish. The two fall deeply in love, and Wesley leaves to seek his fortune overseas so that they can marry, when his ship is attacked by the dread pirate Robert, who is infamous for never leaving survivors, Wesley is presumed dead. Five years later, Buttercup is forcibly betrothed to Prince Humperdinck, the heir to the throne throne of Florin. Before she is wedding, before the wedding, she is kidnapped by three outlaws, a small Sicilian man named Vizzini, a giant from Greenland named Fesnik, and a Spanish fencing master named Indigo Montoya, who seeks revenge against the six-fingered man who murdered his father. A masked man in black pursues them, as does Prince Humperdinck and his soldiers. Now, the man in black confronts the outlaws atop the cliffs of insanity. He defeats Indigo Montoya in a duel and knocks him out, chokes Frizette into unconsciousness, and tricks Vizzini into drinking a deadly poison. He takes Buttercup prisoner and they flee, stopping near a gorge. Buttercup correctly guesses that he is the dread pirate Robert, berates him for killing Wesley, and shoves him into the gorge, wishing death upon him. While tumbling down, he shouts, As you wish! Realising that it's actually Wesley, she throws herself into the gorge after him and they are reunited. As they make their way through the dangerous fire swamp to avoid Humperdinck and his men, Wesley explains how the Dread Pirate Roberts is an inherited title he assumed it when the previous Roberts wanted to retire. Having now found Buttercup, Wesley surrenders to intends to surrender the title to another. Humperdinck captures the pair after they emerge from the fire swamp. Buttercup agrees to return with Humperdinck after he promises to release Wesley. Humperdinck then secretly orders his sadistic vizier, Count Rugen, to take Wesley to his torture chamber in the pit of despair. Before being knocked out, Wesley notices that Count Rugen is the six-fingered man who killed Inigo's father. When Buttercup begs him not to marry her, Humperdinck falsely promises to find Wesley for her. His real plan is to start a war with the neighbouring country, Gilder, by killing Buttercup and framing Gilder for her death. He had secretly hired Vizzini to do this before Wesley interfered. Meanwhile, Inigo and Fesnick are reunited after Humperdinck orders thieves to be arrested in the forest for which they are sta- where they're staying. Fesnick tells them about Rugen. Uh, Inigo realises he needs Wesley's help to storm the castle. Buttercup realises that Humperdinck has failed to search for Wesley and calls him a coward. Enraged, Humperdinck imprisons Buttercup, tortures Wesley seemingly to death. Then the other two guys, uh, Inigo and Fezek, followed Wesley's screams through the forest. They find his body and they bring him to Miracle Max, a folk healer. The mostly dead Wesley is revived by Max, though he is severely weakened. The three of them then storm the castle. Humperdinck panics and orders the in-progress wedding ceremony to be shortened. Inigo finds uh, Rugen, who then stabs him and taunts him about his father's death before he finds the strength to fight back and kill him. Wesley locates Buttercup, who is about to commit suicide, believing she is now married to Humperdinck. Wesley ensures her the marriage is invalid because she never completed her wedding vows. Humperdinck finds them and challenges Wesley to a duel, but Wesley wills himself to stand and intimidates the prince into surrender. Buttercup and Wesley leave Humperdinck tied to a chair and jump to safety through a window. Having killed Rugen, Inigo is unsure what to do with his life, and Wesley's office in the role of the dread pirate Roberts. Fezzek has procured four horses. He and Wesley and Buttercup all escape, and they, uh, at the end, Wesley and Buttercup safely reunited, share a passionate kiss. Back in his bedroom, the boy eagerly asks his grandfather to read him the story again the next day, to which his grandfather replies, as you wish. So what I did is I pieced together the parts that were important for you to see, 
but, you, but because I've kind of made it one long clip rather than several clips, I wanted to make sure you understood the story. So it's going to move fairly quickly, and the story's going to chop and change. But why don't you turn your eyes to the screen, and we'll have a look and see what it says, what it does. You are ready, then? Whether I am or not, you've been more than fair. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Thank you. Bonetti's defense against me, ah? Huh? I thought it fitting, considering the rocky terrain. Naturally. You must suspect me to attack with Capaferro. Naturally. But I find that Tibble cancels out Capaferro. Don't you? Unless the enemy has a study, he's a glipper. Which I have. You are wonderful. Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admitted you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. <laughs> You're amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. Oh, there's something I ought to tell you. Tell me. I'm not left-handed either. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. a stained glass window as an artist like yourself. However, since I can't have you following me either. <coughs> Please understand, I hold you in the highest respect. Is everybody out? Almost. There's a Spaniard giving us some trouble. Will you give him some trouble? Move. for you, Vicini. You told me to go back to the beginning. I have. This is where I am, and 
This royal state will not be moved. Hold there! I don't know, budge. Keep your hold But the prince gave orders. Sadi Vicini. When the job went wrong, you went back to the beginning. Well, this is where we got the job. So is the beginning. And I am staying till Vicini come. You brute, come here! I am waiting for Vicini. You surely are a meanie. Hello. It's you. so good. You don't smell so good either. Perhaps no. I feel fine. Yeah. Fezzik and Inigo were reunited. And as Fezzik nursed his inebriated friend back to health, he told Inigo of Pazzini's death and the existence of Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. Considering Inigo's lifelong search, he handled the news surprisingly well. Fezzik took great care in reviving Inigo. That's enough! That's enough! Where is this Rogan now? So I might kill him. He's with the prince in the castle. But the castle gate is guarded by 30 men. How many could you handle? I don't think more than 10. Even 20 for me. At my best, I could never defeat that many. I need Vecina to plan. I have no gift for strategy. But Vincent is dead. No. Not Vecini. I need the man in black. What? Look. He bested you with strength, your greatness. He bested me with steel. He must have outthought Vicini. And a man who can do that can plan my castle onslaught any day. Let's go. Where? In the men in black, obviously. But you don't know where he is. Don't bother me with trifles. After 20 years, at last my father's soul will be at peace. There will be blood tonight. giant, but leave the third for questioning. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Get away from me, Fessick! Please! 
Must be that little Spanish brat I taught a lesson to all those years ago. Simply incredible. You've been chasing me your whole life only to fail now. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. How marvelous. Good heavens. Are you still trying to win? You've got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. It's going to get you into trouble someday. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. The thing that I love about him is that he had this um, quest for vengeance, right? He had this justifiable, honorable cause of what he was fighting for. And then he trains for 20 years to become the world's greatest swordsman, and then he gets beaten. And then he becomes a drunk because he was embarrassed because he felt humiliated, because he felt like his 20 years of trying to just, like, you know, train and to be able to, to um, you know, avenge his father, 
He, he just felt this humiliation for it. Then, of course, his friend comes along and he, he jostles him out of it and wakes him up and supports him. And then he gets up and he begins again and he tries again. And then he ends up getting injured. So, so we think he's going to die. You think he's never going to actually avenge his father. But he gets up, even though he's, he's wounded. He still gets up and he keeps trying again and again. And that, to me, is actually what that proverb is about. It's about getting up and trying again no matter what the circumstances are. And I've kind of been thinking about this, and there are many things in our lives that can create um, setbacks or that, that we fall and we struggle and we stumble over. And we can do one or two things. We can lie there and quit, or we can get up and continue. When things happen to us, just as Inigo Montoya experienced some of these things, whether they happen to us and the fall becomes emotional or physical, and we end up feeling hurt, we end up feeling embarrassed, we may even think that we don't have the ability to move forward, whatever it is, it stops us and it hinders us. And I wanted to really look at the um, part around embarrassment, because a lot of people, I have conversations with people all the time, and nine times out of ten, the reason why they don't try again is because they feel embarrassed, because they tried and it failed, because they feel humiliated, because they feel a sense of shame, because you know, I stepped out in faith, or I'm trying to do this thing and I keep failing at it. And so because of the way our culture is, and because we say failure is not success, we have a sense of shame come upon us. But shame and humiliation, all those things, they're actually just emotions. And emotions lie to you all the time. Your emotions can't be trusted. In all honesty, they can't be because they are based on what is happening in that exact moment. Nine times out of ten, if you've faced something that's embarrassing, it's for that moment. And then a week later, you ask somebody else about it, they may not even remember what happened to you. But because you magnify it in your mind so that it's so huge, you become... um, tied up and bound up in embarrassment. So what things can cause us embarrassment? What things, because embarrassment and shame, none of those things come from God. But you know what? There are things that happen that might cause us to feel that way. Divorce can cause embarrassment. Losing your job can cause embarrassment. Being a single parent can cause embarrassment. Lack of money can cause us to be embarrassed. Someone walking out of our life When we try and fail at different things, that can cause embarrassment. And these things, if we allow them, can become weights that completely ensnare us and entangle us. But we must lay these things aside so that we can run our race with endurance and with stamina, with perseverance, because we are not supposed to lie there and quit. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you just lie there, if you ignore God telling you to get up, if you ignore the Holy Spirit telling you to get up, if you just lie there, you're never going to get anywhere. It's never going to get any better. You'll be trapped forever in that moment that you feel was embarrassing. You'll be trapped forever in that moment that you feel was humiliating, and you'll never be free. And people are watching. It's true. Yep, somebody saw you trip and fall. Somebody saw you screw up. Somebody saw you take a step of faith, and it didn't work out for you. But you're the one running your race, right? Not those people on the sideline. 
You know, there are people watching. That's true. There are two types of people who will be watching you. There will be those people who will watch, and they will see that you've tripped and you've fallen, and they will comment on it. They'll say, oh, look, you fell. Oh, look, you didn't make it. Oh, you failed at that. But then you're going to have other people who are going to see you, and they're going to go, hey, get back up. Keep going. Keep running. Keep doing what you were doing. Try it again. The question here is, whose voice are you going to listen to? Because I can tell you now, the devil wants you to stay down. He doesn't want you to move forward. He wants you to feel humiliated. He wants you to live in that moment of, of shame or embarrassment. So the only way he can make you live in that moment is if you stay down, because you're just going to wallow in that. But if you listen to God, if you listen to the Holy Spirit and the people that he sends you and the words that he says to you, if you get back up, then you're no longer living in that moment. So who are you listening to? Proverbs 24, 16, though a righteous man may fall seven times, he will rise again. What number four are you on? I, I don't know what number four you're on. I know, what, I, don't, I know what number four I'm on. But what number four are you on? There's a story in 2 Kings, in chapter 5, about Naaman, and he's a Syrian commander, right? So he, he's in charge of this army. And he had captured some Israelites, and he has this young Israelite slave girl. And he's really well thought of as, as a commander. He's really well thought of as a slave owner, as her master. Problem is, is that he has leprosy. Now, that means that at some point, he has to begin to um, isolate himself from everybody. He has to begin to step out of his role. He has to begin to, because, you know, you can't stay with people if you've got leprosy. And this young Israelite girl comes up to him, and she says to him, you need to go and see the prophet, because he can heal you. So he goes and he speaks to his king, and he says to his king, my young Israelite slave girl has said, um, you know, I need to go and speak to, speak to the prophet. So the king then writes a letter to the king of Israel, and says to the king of Israel, this is Naaman, my most favored commander, I want you to heal him. Now the king reads this and goes, how the heck am I supposed to do that? Like... He's just ordered, he just wants to start a war. That's all this is about. Anyway, for some, some unknown reason, Elisha finds out about this, and he says, sends a, a thing to the king, send him to me. So Naaman then goes to the prophet, and he gets to the prophet, and he's taken all these gifts. He's got all these gifts to give to the prophet. He gets to the prophet, and the prophet does not come out to see him. The prophet sends his messenger, his servant, and he says to him, um, you know, he wants you to go and dip seven times in the Jordan River, and then you'll be healed. And Naaman gets upset. He gets really upset and angry about this. A, he's an important person. B, he has brought all these gifts, and the prophet can't even come out and talk to him. So there's a lot of pride, a bit of frustration and anger there. And not only that, but the rivers in Damascus where he came from were a heck of a lot cleaner than the Jordan River. Right? So he's, he's quite offended. And he's, he's basically storming off. And in verse 13 it says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So when he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So Naaman puts off... His pride. First of all, he had to let go of his pride, right? And he dips into the river the first time, gets up. I guarantee he looked at his body and went, nothing's happened. So he dips again. He would have come up there the second time, looked at his body, still covered in leprosy. Third time, still covered in leprosy. 
fourth time. By now, mentally, he's probably going, this is a waste of time. Why am I doing this, right? Because I don't know what you guys like, but when when God's telling me to step out and I start to do stuff, but it's not happening instantly, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't hear from God. God's got it wrong. And, And I know that that's what he was thinking. But he does it. He does it all seven times. And he comes out and he's completely healed. And you know what happened later on in Luke chapter 4, verse 27? It says this, And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. He got back up. He dipped himself seven times. The first time it failed, didn't work. He dipped himself a second time, didn't work. But he kept going. Now, you've all heard of the Apostle Peter. I think he embodies someone who has experienced embarrassment, humiliation, yet still manages to keep coming through. Peter was the only one who stepped out of the boat at Jesus' command. He was also the only one who um, lost sight of Jesus and began to sink. In Matthew 14, 28, it says, And Peter said, answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And then Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. That's got to be a slightly embarrassing situation. Think about it. First of all, Jesus, if it's you, call me and I can walk on the water. He starts to walk on the water. There's got to be that moment, oh my gosh, I'm walking on the water. This is amazing. Then, of course, he gets distracted by his circumstances and he begins to sink, right? And then Jesus saves him. And the thing that I think people forget is he didn't swim back to the boat. He actually walked back on the water back into the boat, right? But... How many of you know his friends later on would have been going, dude, you sank. <laughs> How embarrassing is that? Not only that, Peter was the one who cut off a man's ear. In John 18.10, it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So here's Peter, thinking he's doing the right thing. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to save Jesus, because they're going to try and take him and drag him away. So he comes out with his sword, and he slashes, cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus says, Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like, seriously, that had to be slightly embarrassing for Peter, because he got it wrong. Then Jesus gets rebuked by Peter in Mark 8.33. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus this is, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. If any moment was humiliating in your entire life, that's it. Because Jesus has just said that you're Satan. He has just called you Satan. This is in front of your peers. Not just your peers, because Peter was older than everybody else, all the other disciples. So Peter was the pseudo-leader by his age, and Jesus has just called him out. That had to be humiliating. And then Peter denies knowing Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him saying, You were also a Jesus of Galilee. And he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And then he had gone out to the gateway. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow was also a Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up to Peter and said, sure, you were also one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know him. Do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out 
and he wept bitterly. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and he will rise again. This same Peter, who screwed up all the time, embarrassingly so, humiliatingly so, delivered the very first sermon in the book of Acts. He got up and he kept going. When he screwed up and made mistakes, when he got it wrong, he got up and he kept going. And because he did that, about 3,000 people were saved that day. You have to get up and you have to keep going. I know it can be embarrassing. I know you might feel shame and humiliation. But God will help you overcome. You need to get up and you need to keep going. Maddie, if you want to come on the keys. So what does it take for us to get up? When you fall, it's going to take perseverance. It's going to take endurance. And it's going to take knowing that you're an overcomer. You know that you might be in an embarrassing situation. You know that you might have failed. You know that you weren't successful in what you've attempted. But do you know that you're also an overcomer? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Perseverance is continuing despite falling. Continuing despite falling. It's getting up and keep going. Endurance is having the power to overcome the fall, the setback or the delay. Because I don't know what it is that you experience. It's having the ability to endure a difficult situation without giving up. You have to get up and you have to keep going. You're an overcomer because God is an overcomer and he lives and abides in you. That needs to be your anchor. You need to get up and you need to keep going. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And my favorite that I preach to myself all the time, Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God. So you ask yourself, do I love God? Yeah. Is this situation sucky? Yeah. Is it going to work together for good? Yeah, it is. Because I'm called according to his purpose. Now, many of you have fallen, and you actually have a choice. Are you just going to lie there? Because some of you have been lying there for a long time, being honest. If we're honest with ourselves, some of us have been laying down for a very long time. Are you going to get up? Will you allow embarrassment and shame and hurt to keep you down? Or will you get back in the race? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Those that are laughing at you or those who are cheering you on? 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You need to run your race with perseverance. You need to run your race with endurance. And you need to run knowing you are an overcomer. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. 
because this is a personal thing between you and God. This is not something that you need to show to everybody else. So I want you to close your eyes. And you know if you're still lying down somewhere in your life. And you know if you're, if you're needing to get back up. So I want you to just open, open to the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage us all to keep getting back up again. By nature, I prefer to fight. By nature, I prefer to, to stand. So my push for other people is to always get up. You can't do anything if you're lying down. Now, for some of us, this may be a spiritual aspiration that we're striving for. There may be something that you're trying to establish in your life, a spiritual discipline, and you keep failing, and you're trying, and you're failing. Just keep trying. Just keep trying. If you'd like to change a bad habit or kick an addiction or change your attitude, just keep trying. Just keep trying. Don't give up. No matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you fail, just keep trying. For others, it's simply they will go on in spite of life setbacks and challenges. And if you're in that situation, if, if circumstances are working against you and it's got nothing to do with anything you've done, but it's circumstances working against you, you just need to keep pressing forward. And I want you to remember that, the, that through the fall, we will rise again because we're not going to give up. If you take away one thing from today, I want you to take away that you become righteous when you get back up. So we're going to pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom that you give us, Father. I thank you, Lord, for your proverbs where we can take one proverb where we can use them to become building blocks in our lives, where we can use them to become stepping stones in our lives. We thank you, God, that your word says that though we fall, we can rise again. I thank you, God, that we are righteous in your sight, Father. Lord, I thank you, God, that even though we may have fallen and felt a sense of shame and embarrassment, Lord, that that is not what you see. Father, that you will rebuke the enemy who whispers failure to us. Lord, that you will rebuke the enemy when he says humiliation and shame upon you. God, that you will rebuke the enemy when he tries to keep us down, Father. I thank you, God, that you're going to surround people with the right people to uplift them, to encourage them, to, to cheer them on. Lord, that those voices that are naysayers, Father, would be silenced. And Lord, that we would hear the cheers of those who are witnesses to our journey with you. I thank you, God, that you go before us. Lord, that you are a light unto our path. Father, I thank you, God, that we press forward because you help us to overcome. That greater is he that is in me than he that is um, in, out in the world, Father. I thank you, God that we are children of the Most High, that every blessing of God is yes and amen, that every promise of God is yes and amen, and that we walk, God, in your victory. We walk from a position of victory, not to victory. And so, God, I pray, Lord, for those who needed that encouragement today, Lord, that they would not give up. Father, that those people who have not been cheered on, Father, Lord, that they will begin to hear your Holy Spirit cheering them on and surround them with those people. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Awesome. So I know that was a bit of a, 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 a really short message. Um, but I don't think there's much more I can say beyond just get up and keep going. That's the sum total of my message. Get up and keep going. <laughs>
Amen. So we have Jaffers today because I love Jaffers at the movies. Um, we also have um, a few leftover um, trumpets from last week. Um, there's not enough for everybody, but there's enough for some people. So trumpets are going to be first in, first serve. Make sure you grab some <laughs> Jaffers. Um, please think about the variety show. Sign yourself up. Um, and we will see you guys all next week for our new series, Bright Side.